Hey there, it's Curious City reporter Adriana Cardona Magigad. I was at the metro station recently near my house. I was looking around and I noticed that to get to the platform, you have to climb this long, steep stairway. There is no ramp, no way to go up if you are using a wheelchair. Mike Irving knows all about that. He's 65 years old. He's used a wheelchair his whole life. When you have a disability and you want to go from point A to point B, you have to first consider whether the means of getting from point A to point B is accessible or not. Mike has been a disability rights advocate here in Chicago for a long time. He and other Chicagoans pushed for lots of changes locally and across the country, including the fight to make the Chicago Transit Authority, the CTA, accessible, starting with lift some buses. He also advocated for independent living programs and more protections for people with disabilities at the federal level. Thirty years ago, the laws to protect people with disabilities weren't as strong as they are today, across many fields, including education, employment, transportation. And not many cities had public buses with lifts for people in wheelchairs. In the mid-1980s, advocates fought to change that here in Chicago. Later, with the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, also known as the ADA, access to trains and buses improved drastically. And that gets us to this week's Curious City question by Zoe Sheets. Chicago played a pretty big role in disability history. I'm just looking to better understand what has our city done? What can our city do better? What have people who came before me done? What things can we do to keep pushing forward for the future? Zoe is a third-year med student at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And she's lived with a chronic pain disability since she was 11. So she's aware of the challenges many people with disabilities face. But Zoe also knows their stories aren't just about the struggle. I do want to know about the history, but I also just wanted to prompt a story that would, you know, highlight this community and the resilience and the strength and just how, like, fun and cool it is. That's where Mike Irving's story comes in. One day it occurred to me that I just assumed that I can't ride that bus. And I felt kind of stupid that I never thought about I should ride that bus if I could ride that bus. Mike's fight for access and inclusion in Chicago and across the country. And the stories of other key players. That and more just ahead. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. I met up with Mike Irvin in his apartment near the Loop. He lives there with Hi. his wife. Hi, how are you? Mike grew up with a form of muscular dystrophy. He says having a disability goes beyond what most people think of when they hear the word disability. It's not just physical. When people think disability, the first thing they think is wheelchair. Somebody with schizophrenia or autism or something like that, that also is a 
condition that affects their ability to do certain things. Mike is a writer. He blogs about all the things impacting people with disabilities, using wit and sarcasm, in a way most people don't dare talk about. He's also well known for his radical advocacy. Mike and other activists were key in the success of a civil rights complaint against the CTA, a fight to make public transportation accessible for people in wheelchairs. Mike was also there in the fight to get the ADA passed in 1990. After one of its most moving sessions in years, the Senate has passed legislation which guarantees people with disabilities greater access to everyday American life. The ADA banned discrimination against people with disabilities in all areas of life, including access to jobs, schools, and transportation. But let's back up for a minute, because Mike's advocacy work started way before the passage of the ADA. In the 1960s, it was like a different world. There were curbs everywhere. And if you wanted to get up a curb, you either had to have someone help you or you had to figure out how to do it yourself. Mike's older sister and his mother had disabilities too. But his mother made sure her kids had access to places in the city, even if that was hard. So he learned to advocate for himself at a young age. Still, like most students with disabilities back then, Mike wasn't allowed to enroll in his neighborhood school. He had to go to a school only for disabled students. We went to a school, and it's called Walter S. Christopher. And that was about a 12-mile back-and-forth commute from our house. And they would pick us up every morning and take us to the school. He says the neighborhood school was about three blocks away. But Christopher brought in disabled kids from all over the city. Some came much farther than us. I like to say we were segregated because we were freaks. After college, Mike started thinking about community activism. He started going to Access Living, a disability rights organization. It had just opened its doors in Chicago in 1980. He met up with friends there. And he was hearing all about disability rights advocacy work that was going on in other parts of the country. He also got a book called Rules for Radicals by Sol Alinsky, a community activist known for his powerful organizing strategies. Aside from all of that, something else motivated him to take action. I was a young man out of college, living in a big city, wanting to enjoy it. And I lived on a main street, and a CTA bus would go down that street every day. And one day it occurred to me that I just assumed that I can't ride that bus. And I felt kind of stupid that I just assumed that I never thought about I should ride that bus. If I could ride that bus, I could get around. It would solve a lot of my problems. I just was in the mindset that it's not for people like me. He says back then the CTA had a program to help folks with disabilities get around. It was a door-to-door transportation service that still exists today. And some of us used that, but we quickly learned that it was completely inadequate in the same way that it is today. It had all kinds of problems. You had to reserve way in advance, like a day and a half in advance. You couldn't change it if your life changed. And that wasn't all. They were unreliable in terms of what time they'd show up. There were curfews, like the hours were 9 to 5 on weekends. 
Mike and other activists were so frustrated with the way things were in Chicago, they decided to do something about it. They put together a strategy to push for equal access to public buses. They created a local chapter of a national group called ADAPT, which fought to make public transportation accessible for people with disabilities across the country. Mike says the overarching strategy was to organize people at the grassroots level while also taking legal action. That's how Mike met Bob Gettleman. Today, he's a federal district judge. But back in the 80s, when he was an attorney, Judge Gettleman was asked to join a team of lawyers. Who were suing the Chicago Transit Authority to get lifts put on buses for wheelchairs. Uh, there were no lifts at all at the time. And this was before the Americans with Disabilities Act. Judge Gettleman also has a disability. Uh, I had polio as a child when I was seven, and I was on braces and crutches for a period of time after that. He was off the braces for years, but he's back using them again after an accident. So he understands the challenges many people with disabilities face every day. Judge Gettleman and the legal team filed a civil rights complaint against the CTA in 1985. We were met with great resistance by the CTA, and uh, what we thought would be maybe a two or three day hearing turned out to be a 10 week trial. While Gettleman and other attorneys were putting together their legal case, Mike and other disability rights advocates were taking their efforts onto the streets. They managed to bring lots of attention to their case. Americans Disabled for Accessible Public Transportation placed one of its members on the Archer bus, number 62, and Kent Jones refused to get off. Mike Irvin and his group called the DAP, they were militant. Aaron, you get off at one corner, take your time getting off. Mike, you get off at the next corner, take your time getting off, etc., etc. CTA has said we have the right to ride the bus if we can get on it, so... We're going to get on that bus. Our first actions were in 1984, and at the time, State Street was a mall. The only vehicles on the street were public transit, so we thought State Street would be a good place to block it. So we went, we planned an action when we went to the corner of uh, State and Adams. Keep, the buses like to get in and out of the mall in five minutes. That should keep them there for at least a half hour if you do that. And uh, people will take your chairs up. You know, when the light turned green, so about 10 people in wheelchairs just went out into the intersection. Now if you get on, and these cops say they're not going to hassle us, but if you get on... And then some other people who were with us ran a chain between our wheels and the buses couldn't go through and buses started backing up. Judge Gettleman also remembers how far people were willing to go to prove their point. They wanted to get on those buses. One woman particularly, she would crawl up the stairs of the bus to get onto the bus and be followed by the person with the wheelchair. And of course, some of the passengers would cheer, some of the passengers would be upset because it took so long. And eventually a paddy wagon showed up and the police didn't know what to do. That's another thing that makes you powerful is that when the police come, they don't quite know how to handle a wheelchair. And the police were picking us up in our motorized chairs and putting us into the paddy wagons. But it was very powerful to me to block that street because I felt that this was a really good expression of resolve of how important this was, the lengths we would go to, 
and again, that we weren't going to take no for an answer. Mike says he and others felt disrespected each time they couldn't get on a public bus. So they disrupted CTA board meetings. They mocked board members during those meetings, and they even blocked buses. As opposed to just writing letters and being polite, because I felt that was too easy to dismiss and ignore. And I enjoyed not only realizing that I had power and helping other people realize they had power, but asserting it in the way that we did. Finally, four years later, all that protesting and the legal action paid off. In 1988, Judge Gettleman and his team won their lawsuit against the CTA. Mike says there was a front-page story in the Tribune, a big headline in the Sun-Times. Mike gets emotional when he remembers that day. Page three was a great big picture, a whole page about it, picture of my mother hugging me, and and, uh, things like that. Winning against the CTA meant that buses in Chicago would need to have lifts to help people in wheelchairs get on and off. But the change didn't happen right away. It took several years for all the buses to have lifts. Still, Mike says all the attention they got during this fight in Chicago helped generate more momentum for the Americans with Disabilities Act, federal legislation that eventually gave more protections for people with disabilities in all aspects of their lives. More on that coming up after the break. CTA victory here in Chicago, activists like Mike wanted more. They wanted stronger federal laws passed, laws that would get them access to transportation, but also jobs, housing, and education. It was very important to us that the ADA be as strong as, or stronger than our lawsuit settlement so that um, the city couldn't just go, well, we changed our mind, we're going back, and they'd have to keep going in that direction. Chicago activists went to Washington, D.C. and met with public officials. Some were even there in 1990 during the Capitol crawl, a demonstration where people got out of their wheelchairs and actually pulled themselves up the steps of the Capitol. People with various disabilities are out of their wheelchairs and crawling and climbing up the Capitol steps. A few months later, the ADA was signed into law by President George Bush. I now lift my pen to sign this Americans with Disability Act and say, let the shameful wall of exclusion finally come tumbling down. God bless you all. I think what we did in Chicago for the CTA, both the lawsuit and our speed actions, were key in making sure that the ADA is what it is today in terms of public transportation and in general in terms of how effective it can be. Judge Gettleman says the ADA isn't just for people with disabilities. It was a victory for everybody. You could become disabled or acquire a disability in a heartbeat. You could get hit by a car. You could, you could come down with an illness. Uh, I hope you don't, of course. And as we age, more people acquire disabilities as they age and need accommodations. The ADA improved access to transportation. In cities like Chicago, buses didn't just need lifts. 
They were mandated to have designated accessible stations and working elevators. The ADA also required public trains and buses to call out the stops so people who are blind know when to get off the bus or when to get on a train. But while the ADA required a lot of changes, Mike says that wasn't necessarily enough. Activists like him still had more to do to make sure the laws were enforced. Just because the law requires them doesn't mean that everybody runs out and does them. So just because you have a law doesn't mean everybody's going to jump in line and comply with it right away, no matter how far on high it comes from or how right it is or anything else. In the early 2000s, disability groups filed another complaint against the CTA because there were some issues going on, like broken elevators in some key stations and buses that didn't always stop to pick up people with disabilities, which meant the CTA was in violation of federal ADA law. Mike says most recently, in 2019, a Northside train station was redesigned, but it's still not accessible to people in wheelchairs. Belmont on the blue line, they spent millions of dollars redoing it, but didn't put in an elevator. We still run into problems where uh, you have to fight anyway, and the ADA just makes it easier or gives you another tool or maybe reduces the number of fights or maybe re- or changes your strategy, but you still have to fight. CTA officials say more than 70% of rail stations are accessible, but their goal is 100%. They say they've spent the last decade working with the disability rights community to improve access. Congress expanded the definition of disabilities and made changes to the ADA in 2008. But Mike says advocates have to keep a close watch to make sure budgets for disability programs don't get cut. Despite the many challenges in the fight for equal access, he says a lot of things are better. Many people who have a hard time moving around like him are able to live independently, find the right support, and get around a lot easier than before. Whenever I'm out on the street and I see someone with a wheelchair using public transit, especially rather nonchalantly, like, why not? It's part of life. I always feel like, oh, you're welcome. You know? <laughs> I always feel like going up to them and saying that. But it's good to see that it has become so nonchalant. Mike says when given the resources and the accessibility, many people with disabilities can fully participate in society and have control over their own lives. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation and produced by Jason Mark, Joe DeSoe, and me. Maggie Sivit is the digital and engagement producer, Asia Singleton is our intern, and Alexandra Salomon edits the show. I'm Adriana Cardona Magigar. Thanks for listening. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. 
The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown.